welcome to the PR Resolution Podcast. I'm your host, Stella Bales. For any new listeners who don't know what to expect, in each episode, I interview an expert on an emerging area of public relations. I get to the facts, but I leave out the jargon. It's a podcast about marketing, but it's in plain language. No, really, it is. (laughs) Welcome back to all of my regular listeners too. If any of you have any comments or questions, just tweet me at Stella Bales. And don't forget to subscribe on Spotify and on iTunes, whatever you listen on at the end of the episode. Enjoy. In this episode, I'm joined by two guests. They are Grace Keeling and James Beveridge. They're the co-founders of a new agency, which is made by Giants. I say new, they actually started at the beginning of the pandemic in 2020. But I heard about Grace and James because I heard about some of the successes that they had for one of their tech clients and how they've made them grow and deliver really great sales. And I wanted to hear a little bit more. What I didn't realise at the time was that Grace and James are from different areas of marketing and they've brought their two experiences together to create a really unique offering for their partners, not clients. Important part of the interview there. I wanted to get into the detail. I wanted to find out how they have been working during the pandemic together and with their team, how their creative process works, ideation when they're working remotely. I got to find out about their unique way of having in-depth audience research at the beginning of any strategy, how that works with the clients and the information that they gain from the client there as well. Ultimately, it was great finding out about Grace and James's relationship and everything they've learned from one another. Let's see what we can learn from them. Here's Grace and James. I, I met James while working at, at another agency and I was on a completely different floor to him. I didn't know who he was from Adam or Eve. I, I essentially realised based on a brief that I'd got from a client at the time that I needed his discipline I needed his creativity and James probably remembers the moment better than I do because he he often tells people about it but essentially I went on a hunt for him across these multiple floors shouting his name saying James I've got a brand problem and I need you and then the rest is history (laughs) (laughs) so what were your your different departments then so yeah like many agencies disciplines are segmented so comms works in a different discipline PR can work in a different discipline. Consumer PR can be in a different discipline. And the agency we worked at was very segmented like that. And I worked in a branding consultancy that was attached to the agency. So we, in effect, we were a separate company. So mm-hmm. my floor was on a different floor from Grace. And that's what we that's what we realized was that actually separating these disciplines, separating communications and branding seemed illogical, really. What why weren't they more integrated? And and we did a little looking around and we find that we found that hardly anybody does that. Nobody integrates them. And we thought, why don't we start working like that from a communications perspective, bringing branding into it and making it work together integrating it at the very core at the very start of every project and we just found it took off actually it really started to work Mm. it's uh, as I said it really caught my attention because it's actually how I came to uh, meet Gary Preston who are now he's the founder of Coverage Book but we started an agency in different departments I was comms he was 
SEO and yeah, it's just like, why are we not working more closely together and have these teams working closely together? Completely can see how it's worked well for you. So you guys coming together was the birth of Made by Giants, right? So when was that? Oh, that was back in early 2020, I'd say. However, 2020 came with challenges for everybody. We had a bit more time to affect our proposition. And James and I came back together after years of, of, of being apart so when we realized that what we were doing even when we were both freelancers was actually working on a wider scale and it meant that we believe that ultimately like that true integration is actually coming from the heart it's integrated by design it's not integrated by accident and we really did think it through when we came back together and how it would work what kind of projects and retainers we could work on together and obviously given the pandemic we had just a little bit more uh, leeway before we launched in the middle of 2020 to get that proposition. You mentioned that you started in 2020 in the pandemic and I've, I'm really keen to hear about your working, what your ways of working with the team and especially if you're creative. So I'm going to come back to that but I want to just go back to you guys and say Grace you're working in, should we say traditional PR, comms, James in brand mm-hmm. uh, since starting to work together and how you worked together back then what have been the what have been the biggest learnings for you both from each other oh there's a giant <laughs> question Stella uh okay my my probably biggest learning is how you arrive at a creative concept either a campaign or a brand and how you work through the concepting stage because often I've found it's always underpinned by what we need our messaging to achieve and what that goal is and then thrashing thrashing that out into a kind of a visual identity and that's what I've learned a lot about you'll know this Stella comms people get a rush from getting a big national to, to cover their client whereas I'm getting now more of a rush of a getting to a really cool creative concept so there's a bit of a uh, change there so mm. that's probably my biggest learning James over to you on that what you've learned from more about comms yes I had interactions with comms and PR people before but mostly I was surrounded by other designers and other branding specialists actually what's really refreshing is not just talking about typefaces all the time or colors and some design uh, details all the time, but actually talking about communication and, uh, you know, comm strategies, social strategies and thinking and working together on what those strategies are and how important they are to get right and how important the communication is to get right. Because for me, without good communications, without having a clear comms platform if you like and a set of words that speak to the messaging that we're trying to get across what's the design there to do so by having that in place it makes the whole creative process a lot easier because you're very clear about what the creative has to do so i'm constantly asking grace and the team what does the creative have to deliver what are we trying to communicate what are we trying to get across Mm. and therefore the, the the creative has a clear role to play and everybody can chip in and join into the process of creating that idea, really. And it mm. makes it much more democratic, much more open and much more fun. So on the, the creative process, I was about to say your clients, but what I should say is your partners, right? That's what you call 
Most well, most we, agencies we, would call them clients. Then what we, is we that just, about? <laughs> we we decided early on that actually uh, in in all our previous roles we've always called clients and it's always been quite transactional. Mm -hmm. You work in an agency, you work for clients, you do work for clients, and then you bill them, and then you go on to the next one. So. We thought because we're growing an agency and because a lot of the tech companies that we work with are also growing their agencies, we're really partnering in growth. And that's where our proposition came from, all about growth. So we thought that actually we're not going to call you a client. We're going to call you a partner and uh, we're going to partner with you on your journey to success, your journey of growth. And actually treat we we want you to treat us like part of your team and we'll treat you as part of our team and mm. we find it just much more open democratic successful and more enjoyable way of working than having that transactional you said we you wanted this we'll do that for you and actually working together on problems in a much more partner way mm. so i, I want to hear That's a little definitely. bit more about your processes it <laughs> sounds like a boring okay. question but let's move creativity though obviously a really strong area for you guys two parts to the question really if pandemic and ignored <laughs> big point what would be your creative process but also having that the how you come up with a creative in a pandemic in I guess working from home or a hybrid model I'm just really keen to understand that having been in creative processes in agencies and working collaboratively with clients in the past it's often been in person when those best ideas come alive so I'm really keen to hear how that's worked out for you guys yeah I, I think that is that's a good question and I think it's one that a lot of agencies are probably grappling with really but and, and I think the answer is fairly simple and of course we work in a virtual way we don't have an office we, we are a virtual agency like many agencies out there at the moment but we do have a process for creativity which is that even though we are a virtual agency we make a big effort to follow a process and that process involves creating so Grace and I would often write the creative brief together. And then we have virtual brainstorms, and we'll talk about this in a bit more detail later on. But we use a process called Miro, which is a online brainstorming technique, which uses post-it notes, funnily enough. And, and then we have collaboration sessions where we meet uh, once a week in person. We make a real effort, even though we're a virtual agency, to meet at least once a week as a whole team and in person to work on stuff together. And so that, that, that helps us get across that barrier of being virtual, really. And I would say that even if you are a remote agency and if you can't meet in person for whatever reason, even having a phone call or a, or a call like this, a video call, is a great way to uh, ideate and, and come up with concepts. But using Miro is another way and really using the team to kick ideas around and to make sure that even though you can't be uh, in front of people all the time, you actually, there are plenty of online tools that enable you to do that. Also, what I'll say, Stella, is my, you know, <clears throat> your most creative moments won't come from working necessarily in an office. Often ideas come from what's going on around you. So having different stimuli in your everyday environment. So maybe you can't quite get there with a, go for a walk go for yeah. a walk, change your environment, yeah. change your view. And then that yeah. often drives creativity as well. So I yeah. think sometimes the hybrid model is it favors that because it doesn't like lock you into four walls. 
as yeah. such it keep it keeps your environment fresh yeah. yeah it's the same with designers any anybody that sits in front of a computer all day is going to be a bit brain dead to be quite honest so getting outside having a walk going to an exhibition we meet on the south bank right next to the Tate modern that's a great source of inspiration and just being in different environments is a good source of inspiration as well so there are lots of things that you can do to get away from just staring at your computer and mm. I think the more you can get outside and see things and experience things, the more ideas you'll come up with, the more visual creative ideas you'll, you'll come up with. I love the fact that you are meeting, you, do you keep that in the diaries that you do meet once a week, yeah. every week? Oh, yeah. That just part yeah. of yeah. what you do yeah. now. Yeah, yeah, love that. I think yeah. it's especially in somewhere quite inspirational like that on the South Bank in London. It's, that I can imagine that works really well. Love the fact that you mentioned mirror board. I'm a uh, mirror is broad, isn't it? I have been introduced to that recently and have absolutely amazed by it. It's brilliant. So it's if anybody, I'll include that in the notes for anybody who isn't aware of it. That's fantastic. So tell me a little bit about how this, we talked about the creative process and how you work with your team, whether it's online or in person. How has this followed through for some of your, for your partners? Have you, can you talk me through a, a success story of some of your creativity for one of your partners? Yeah, we'd love to. And we've got one which uh, would be really appropriate for this, I think, which is it, it really demonstrates where creativity can have a real impact on the brand. And it, it also talks about how we've changed our clients sales cycle and really locked onto their revenue priority priorities. So just to give you a bit of background, one of our the clients that we our partners that we started with was Active VM. They approached us to solve really a big business challenge that they had really, which was they wanted to they had created a new product, but the product was completely different from their previous products and the business model that they currently had. And this product was going to open a whole lot of new doors to a new set of uh, potential users, a new audience and a new market. And they really wanted us to think about what the brand strategy, is it a breakaway product brand? Is it something that sits between the ActiVM brand architecture? Does it sit outside that? How, and then the next thing was, how do we connect with this new audience? which were data scientists, which were a new breed of, of users for, for them, for their products, which they knew nothing about. How do, how do data scientists work within the large banks that they target, the retailers, the tech companies, and other verticals that, they're, that are users? So to get around that, what we did is a whole lot of research, extensive research through interviews, through searching online, through listening and talking to the people that are in that market, the data scientists. And from that, we recommended a, a period of creative exploration and, and also a new name for the product that was fundamentally a different strategy from where they were before. So turning it from a tool to a, a product proposition that was more suited to a community and change of audiences and connect with new audiences with specific drivers behind that. So it needed a new name, it needed a new brand identity and it needed a communications program that was really for this BI analytics tool, Atoti, that there's the name we came up with and it's pronounced Atoti and it helps anyone who works in data analytics to build data analytic apps and we created a friendly witty approachable brand 
that was consciously community first. And, and we did that because that's what we found in the research that, that the people, the data scientists weren't interested in products, they weren't interested in marketing. They really wanted to experience a product and they wanted to, to connect with each other and how they could use a product in a better way. So we made it much more relaxed, much less corporate and much more friendly. And it's been incredibly successful. Yeah, we, we then launched that it's sort of communications program online kind of through through social media paid and organic but also influences and it was it was creatively led right from the start and visually how we brought it to life we we kind of used ascii art which is actually an art form that's used within the python uh, data science community they used to see that type of artwork and we basically played on what the community wanted and built that back into our creative to help our audiences discover new features fast. And, and we wanted to do that sort of consciously community first idea is we, we presented a brand that was one of the community, everything that it put out, our audience knew all about it already. And that, that the creative really backed that up and mm. together with everything that we've done. So the brand creation, the naming, the launch, we, we ended up, you know, generating 18,000 product downloads of a toti, bearing in mind it had zero awareness, nothing, nobody knew anything about it in 2020. And it just showed what the power of branding and communications, what it can do. Uh, and what good community marketing can achieve, really. And that helped dream up a whole new sales strategy for the ActiveVM team. So that, that in a nutshell, can show, shows effectively what creativity can bring to, to one of our partners. Yeah, and what full integration really means. As you were talking um, through that process, it just took me back to so many times when a PR agency, and even not just a PR agency, I worked at a, a, a digital marketing agency as well, which was a different point in the in in the briefing. That kind of detailed audience research, products development would be absolutely done and dusted way beyond, uh, way, way before any kind of marketing was briefed. But to have that all as one, it just makes the end product and delivery, as you've just discussed, and the activation so believable amongst the audiences and authentic. And that's why it works. It just it sounds really successful and like a great creative. But yeah, why isn't that the norm? That should be the norm in our industry, shouldn't it? Uh, I think it's getting there though, Stella. I think there's a lot more convergence, right? It's one of those things where people are, certain disciplines do complement one, one another and that siloed way of working is hopefully being broken down. Fingers crossed. Yeah, it's definitely starting to become more integrated or at least uh, with comms, agency side are, are trying lots of different different areas of marketing now. That's all good. I think it's the briefing points that become a challenge and when different organizations get briefed and that comes down to the decision of a marketing director or, or I guess owner, which leads me on to your type of clients, partners. I'm just going to say partners. We know now, the <laughs> listeners know what we mean. So you said that you are working with organizations that are on their journey of growth as well so would i be right in assuming that they are startups like what and who what kind of clients are you working with are you, who's briefing you are they marketing directors are they owners are they founders it'd be great to get a sense of that for you that is a that is an interesting observation because we get briefed by all sorts of people so it can just be pro product owners it can be founders marketing directors 
sales as well. That's another one. So we actually work with what we like to say is we, we are a well-rounded go-to-market partner for the different, you know, kind of growth areas of the business. So we help kind of power those, whatever the go-to-market is, we help power it. And we're measured in different ways as a result of that. So we're often measured through kind of sales qualified leads, lead pipeline, could be coverage on the PR side downloads like we mentioned earlier eyeballs or engagements and i think that and, and that's because we are being briefed by so many different types of people inside tech companies and mm-hmm. the tech companies we work for they're often scale-ups um series b and above i would say for those in the sort of the tech world will know what i mean it's, it's anybody essentially that's ambitious for the next big thing and that could be anything but what we try and say we, we help power the giants of tomorrow and we will help tell your growth story. And then we, and we integrate different disciplines to do it, to make sure that you're getting the most out of the teams that you work with. And as James said earlier, we do like to collaborate and become an extension of our partners' teams, which is crucial when it comes to growth, because often you'll find it within tech companies. They have growth teams already working internally, and we'll t- say tag us on to the growth team. Wherever the growth needs to be, you tag us on to that team. So that's something that we find is incredibly diverse. And I think it's quite, it's something that is is very we found it's quite unique to the tech sector in that way yeah hopefully again other sectors will start to learn from that and again it's just a norm for any kind of marketing team yeah. you see some marketing teams are very traditional and then there's a big gap for to, to the tech organizations who are about <laughs> growth very data-led yeah but I think the more that we share and especially your kind of work with the rest of the industry the more that they can adopt and I just want to go talking about data Um, you mentioned the extensive audience research in the uh, example that you just mentioned Um, really curious to to know a little bit more about that so that different areas you said that there was interviews how are you getting to the community or to some of the new audiences and and who does that job within your team i imagine i'm imagining this sort of big almost like a, a crime one of those sort of big crime boards as your mirror board of, of sharing all of the evidence is my is, is the division in my head correct or not? <laughs> not far, it it's not far off it actually, Stella. It does involve <laughs> it, it does involve quite a few different avenues to find out about the audiences that we're trying to target, and they can be one-on-one interviews, they can be uh, research, they can be social media. Lots of different avenues to find that out. What conversations are happening on in different channels? So, so there are lots of different ways we do that, but. Grace will probably tell you a bit more in detail about how we actually make it work. This podcast is brought to you by CoverageBook, the tool that creates beautifully designed reports with credible metrics you can be proud of. Head to coveragebook.com for your free trial. Yeah, and I think it's about what the partner, how much they want to invest in research. This is a big, this is a big thing because we are often people will probably appreciate this. They get a brief, but they, they, they want something now. And often, you know, we take a step back and go, but we need to research this to double check that light bulb moment, that one messaging moment is backed up by insights on the actual audience we're trying to target. Without it, it's it, we're blind, we're in the dark, we don't quite know if it will work. And so that's why we're often advocating for research budget or ensuring that there is research budget before we even think about campaign strategy, because we need to that that sort of in a way the the preface to the actual work so to speak 
And so depending on the investment in the research, it depends on how far we can go. And often we, we can lean on the partner and their contacts as well as our contacts to make sure that we interview the right type of people and get what we want out of it, as well as obviously ensuring that we can, through tools and just manual research, audit what's going on on social media, in particular online groups, in particular with particular associations as well. And then we have to collate all that together and address what we call just the, the basic common themes and distill that back down into particular strategy scenarios. It's quite, it sounds, it sounds, it can be, it can be very long if you want to invest, you know, what we would call a, a big chunk of time into the research. But I, I do really believe that people need to invest more in research because things don't just come out of thin air and to really get that impact. It's like with a toti, we, we really needed that research to actually strike gold. It wouldn't, yeah, have, it I, wouldn't have done it without it at all. And I would have said it debunks a lot of assumptions that people have about their audiences because people often think, oh, we've got this idea and we, we think it's going to work really well. But actually talking to the audience, you find out something different entirely. So actually what people need to do is invest in more and more audience research and more insights that come from that, but the, the more valuable you, you, you can be in targeting your communications, your PR, your branding, all, all of that really helps to sharpen that targeting. Mm. I couldn't agree more, guys. This is actually my... 20th year in public relations this year so I feel Ooh. like I should at least get a badge or something shouldn't yes. I 20 years in PR but yeah. I, I I would feel like my assumptions about the PR audience's needs and wants and where they're at with PR measurement and reporting would be good based on that experience but actually I'm always surprised and I it's not just me but most of the coverage book team will do at least one day every couple of weeks on on our customer support so I did mine on Friday and that means I'm on the live chat helping people who are uh, coming up with problems in coverage book and always surprised and from that I was like oh so what do you need this for what part of your reporting and what does your client ask for and it's oh yeah always learning new things and so that's why I'd make sure that I do that because yeah otherwise assumptions there's a reason for that saying (laughs) can be the mother of all so yeah I think that's brilliant do you find that some of your partners use the insights from the research that you do for other areas or do you agree what they can it's it's for up front Mm, that's a really good question the thing is there's certain things that we know that we will obviously use it in the work that we do but it's without asking having that ongoing dialogue and making sure perhaps the product team could really benefit from certain audience researchers for example as you say as you've just outlined so making sure that discipline is ingrained within your partner organization that is tough that is tough because you're not there policing that type of activity we know what best practice should be but yeah often i think it's that okay we'll do it for this to make sure that informs that when actually it it could inform so many more things and i can't say that it's always used the best of its ability quite honestly Yeah, I wondered if you, I know you, this will probably, your answer will probably be, it depends what the objective is, but I'm really curious about this research phase because I've always found that, especially in comms and whether it's to do with the time that we're briefed, but we really rush that, that insight phase and we, and it's almost like idea session and then most of the budget is on the activation, probably because we have limited budgets, but it sounds like you are 
factor in a, a good amount of time for that research and insight. For people who are hearing this and realizing the benefits of having this kind of research and insight, where do you start in trying to sort of sell that to a client? To to because you need the budget and the fee time, and also I guess the second part of the question is: do you have to invest in extra tools for this kind of research? And what would they be? Yeah, you're right. It just <laughs> it de- it depends on what we're trying to achieve and what that that budget is. But if, if for example, there there is not a lot of knowledge of the audience that we're going after, the way they communicate with each other, and there is that gap, you have to acknowledge that any campaign you generate might not work without research. And I suppose it's getting across that light bulb moment that I had to do it recently in in, in a conversation where I basically said. I, I can map out the campaign, but realistically, without the research, I could be completely wrong. And having that sort of upfront honesty about the power of research really helps sell it, actually. Mm-hmm. Admitting that the, the flaws in activation without it, because people don't want a flawed activation, right? In theory. So having and, and, and acknowledging that perhaps, that as, as James was saying, that introspection, the partners can be very introspective. So if, if, if we do actually sell the value of research and then they go, okay, how do we, how do we find out more about this audience? Depending on the audience, yes, you will need perhaps a, either you, you'd have to go to uh, a research partner, I would say. B2B is very difficult. So we operate in B2B. So having that, hitting that exact audience. So for example, I don't know, picking an audience out of the thin air, e-commerce entrepreneurs. If I needed to learn more about e-commerce entrepreneurs, I would obviously go to a lot of forums in marketplaces where e-commerce entrepreneurs operate but there might be for example a very boutique you know kind of research provider that also works with e-commerce entrepreneurs Mm. so I I guess we find in the b2b world audience is so niche and there will be people that work with those niche audiences in whatever ways and and it's about really finding those and and going from there really on the we're talking you're talking about audiences and i noticed the you mentioned brilliant roi or the 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 result of the example that you mentioned where you had eighteen thousand downloads um I just want to go on to measurement. It won't be a big surprise that I want to talk about measurement with you. And it's brilliant that you can, you're going into sales and like true growth of your clients. Are you, how, how does it work with your partners? Are you guys setting that up and setting the metrics or is it led by your partners? I would would say that it's um, very much us setting it up. So we, we set up what the metrics are and we agree them with that, with our partners, and we have them across a series of parameters. But for the success of the creative, particularly, I think people want to see the results. We do that. We, what we do is a monthly report for all our partners on how the campaigns are running, how, how the success, how the creative is going down. And we measure it in lots of different ways. So we measure it across the activation, how activations, how it's underpinning that, particularly in digital and PR. And for example, we can be measured by, for example, sales qualified leads, because a lot of people come to us and they want to generate leads for their our campaigns. They want to use our campaigns to get to their target market and get sales qualified leads from that. So the lead pipeline, the sales qualified leads, tier one coverage, product downloads, eyeballs on our content and engagements with our content are ways we can measure. We track all of those 
on a regular basis and we prepare, like I say, detailed reports to go through with each of our partners on each of the campaigns that we're working on. And they really enjoy it, actually. They really, what, what it shows them is what's working well, what we can build on, and it allows those conversations to develop about how we can develop and, and do more with, say, if we went into more paid or we used influencers and, and how we can push those metrics up even higher and go to take them to the next level, really. Love the sounds of this reporting. I would assume that mm. you would say it's impossible without analytics access of your partner's organisation. Oh, gosh, yeah. Well, I, that, that, I have that a list of these asks, yeah. I do. <laughs> I ask because it's, I, I, whether it's in training sessions or talks or events or just PR people that I'm speaking to, there's just always, not always, for many people, there's a block and but I can't get analytics access. It's, I don't know how you're reporting them without it. And I, I have spent many years in agencies where it was really tough. Have you found it difficult to get that kind of access to data of your partners? <laughs> no, the only pro- probably slight, yeah, well, I would say it's on the CRM side. So for example, if they operate in Salesforce, where they write all their notes against all their potential leads, is we have to have somebody internally just basically extract that information for us. The rest of it, though, in terms of website, Google, we have that. Uh, We've never had a challenge there. I think as soon as you come up against the CRM, we might have a challenge. So we probably won't be able to see all the ins and outs of all the notes on on each potential account. But but other than that, at the minute, we're finding that there is it's more of an open door on, on the analytics side. Yeah, and I, I, I think that's because our partners want to achieve growth, want success, and want to see the results of the investment in us. Really, so I think they're keen to share that with us. And the more you make them aware that the the more they share with us, the better we'll get, and the mm. results will get better. They they become it, yeah, it's like pushing in an open. It sounds like with a lot of the areas that we've talked about, it's like setting your stall out right from the beginning calling them a partner. This is the, the research that's needed to get the golden nugget for, for, the, act, for the, the activity. This is what we need to be able to tell you about the success or how we need to flex. So I, I think that's it. It's great that you have done that from the start of your agency. So talking about the start of your agency, it was in 2020. So how did that go? Were you both in <laughs> lockdown when the idea came up? How did, Can you talk me through how that came about? Not quite, actually, Stella. Almost, but not quite. It was a very interesting timing, to say the least. It was one of those moments where we thought about it at the beginning of 2020, and then we were planning to launch. And then all of a sudden, the world went a little topsy-turvy, and we had to re-challenge our own proposition and decide, do people still need us? And actually, we came back and we were thinking, yeah, they do. They actually need us more than ever now. This is actually case in point why they do need us, particularly as we grow out of the pandemic. Everybody will be thinking in different ways and they'll need new ways to hack growth. So we were, we, in, in a way, it was a very scary time. I think for every new agency startup at, at the time, I'm sure there was a level of trepidation, uh, fear. But once you actually interrogate your proposition, that you realize that based on how the pandemic played out, our, our partners and our potential partners need us. Uh, and I would say, building on what you were saying earlier, Stella, about calling our clients partners and thinking of them in a, as a partner, the other thing we do is that pretty much every interaction we have, every meeting we have with our partners, we try and bring ideas to the table. 
So things that will help them, things that will develop their brand, things that might improve their, their metrics and ideas to help them grow. And I think that's been very successful, hasn't it? And it's enabled us to keep all the partners that we currently work with and, and each of them have grown into bigger, bigger assignments and more assignments within one partner. So it's not just one big assignment, it's, it can be a number of different assignments within one partner project. It's, and it's enabled us to build retainers for all of those assignments over a long period. We, most of our retainers are 12 months based. So that gives us security, that gives us the ability to treat them as partners really and to work with them and to help them grow because they're helping us. It sounds like a really supportive working relationship, which is what everybody has needed the past couple of years. I was actually, when you were talking there about the timing of starting and Made by Giants, and and also I was reflecting back to your research phases and really getting to know your audience, truly getting to know the audiences and not just saying that you're the audience. We found um, that we, I don't know if everyone's aware, but we I don't just work at coverage, but we also have another app called Answer the Public, which is a research tool. It's a free research tool, and it looks at search data. But we found that when the pandemic hit, coverage reporting decreased, but people trying to find out how people were feeling or thinking through search massively increased. Like the traffic to answer the public really increased around that time. And we found that there's all sorts of audiences who use that tool, but we found that a lot of people in marketing were going to that tool just to try and understand how people were feeling because you can't make assumptions when the world is turned on its head. (laughs) So I feel that your approach is just needed so much right now. And it's probably why you've found success, I guess, with all of your partners. So well done, you guys. Thank you. <laughs> um, but we all need it. It's a pandemic. We all need to support one another, really, don't we? Yeah. For I guess for the listeners, I, my biggest takeout is the way that you do approach your creative process and your ideas. But especially considering, your, I guess, call it a hybrid model, but you are remote, right? You are remote. So your team, can you talk me through your team? That would be really interesting, actually. You said that you meet up once a week and you've talked about some really in-depth reports that you deliver to your partners who does what I'm really curious to know because there's lots of different areas there obviously we we re, we have big creative drive in made by giants so the one thing that probably other agencies don't do straight away but we did straight away is we invested in design so we have a wonderful creative brand growth designer Anna and we straight away were like you have to invest in in creative design and that was one of the first things that we do so everything that we is of top-notch quality otherwise James Beveridge has a strop uh, and he'll have a go at me for all my alignments and everything that we produce <laughs> he laughs but it's true but also we have we because we're integrated by design we've invested in different types of resources right so we have digital specialists and comm specialists that work collaboratively depending on the nature of the work the brief and what we're trying to do rather than have them siloed is they're all working together so there won't be one project where we're all in some way either very involved or at least slightly involved because you need those different specialists to really drive these types the work especially that we're doing um 
sort of big growth work because you'll you'll notice that our partners ask for them they go oh what about this and, and have, we, have we thought about this and we have thankfully the resources to, to to tackle those kind of conversations so we're not all just investing in all comms people i love comms people don't get me wrong i've spent my life around comms people <laughs> but we don't have all the answers stella you don't, don't have all the answers. You have, to, you have to go with people that, that, that think a little bit differently. You want people that think differently. That diversity of thought is what I say. I'll let, James, I'll let James chip in now because I go on my soapbox a bit about this. <laughs> so you're definitely well, the comms person. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, no, it's, it's, it's a really interesting question. How, how do you build an agency for today's requirements, really? And what's needed and where is it needed and what type of skills? And I'll be honest, we've had to discover that as we've gone along, really. And we've grown organically. We've not rushed to hire people left, right and centre. We've been very careful in, in the people we've hired and taken quite a long time to, to, to find the right people that, that will fit, that will work in a collaborative integrated way that want to do that and that want to extend and grow their skills because in working this way you naturally touch on things that you might not have done in your previous roles you you usually work in a very siloed environment that just focuses on it might be a certain aspect of pr or comms but here we're crossing large territories with our partners stretching people's abilities growing their skills Helping them be the giants that, that we feel our partners need is really important to us. So we do look for people with a real mix of skills and an ambition to, to, to work across different areas. Yeah, it feels like it's, it's really helped you guys reach the success that you have got so far. For agencies comms teams who have maybe worked in an used to working in the office before the pandemic and now we are in this scenario of can go back to the office some people have moved don't want to go back to the office some people do I don't know a weird hybrid I say a hybrid but keep using this term hybrid model because I see it around but you guys have made you've been able to set out your ways of working from the start and it's obviously doing well for your team can you give is there anything that you just like yeah would never change that there's some advice that you could give to to teams trying to find the best ways of working at the moment I think yeah, I was going to say, first of all, you've got to think of yourself as a team and as a team of people working together for a common aim. So having a clear proposition that everybody is clear about and um, gets behind, I think is really important. If you just start a business with the idea that you're going to work for clients and you're going to do whatever they ask you to do, them, that, that can take you in all sorts of directions. Whereas I think Grace and I, when we started, we were very clear about what type of uh, client we wanted to work for, what sector we wanted to work in, what we could offer them, how we could scale that and grow that. And that's been really helpful in having a, a very clear vision of where we want to be and how we want to grow. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing. The second thing is that although we haven't been able to work together legally, although the government's ignored it, we haven't ignored it. We've kept our distances and done everything that we were been asked to do. What we have done is when we can is to meet on a regular basis. So like we've been talking about getting those in-person interactions where we can not always work. Once a month, we do something funky like we we went to a Bedouin tent one, one uh, month. Next month, we're planning on something else, which is a surprise. We try each month to do something where we all get together. We don't necessarily work. We just have fun and we have a nice lunch. 
chat about what's going on in our lives, get to know each other, actually. Mm. And uh, you, you only do that really when you're in front of people, not necessarily on, on a Zoom. So I would say that's the second thing. And the third thing is just recognising what people contribute and remembering that they're all individuals and they're all going through tough stuff wherever they are and recognizing that so rewarding them and making sure that we think of them as people and making sure for example we do this thing where we every month everybody gets a veg box of uh, organic uh, vegetables they get we subscribe to an urban massage they can have therapy treatments or beauty treatments or whatever so little things and the other thing we do is we're about to share our plans for the next year with everybody in the team so what our what our vision is, where we want to be, how that will, how they can help us and support us to get there and what their roles will be. And it, it's all looking at looking at the big picture of where we want to go. So having a clear plan mm. of where Made by Giants is going, I think is really helpful too. And people feel really involved and invested in that. It sounds like you found the ways for to make everybody who's part of Made by Giants feel like they're still in the team without having to do their work sat yeah. next to one another. We, we make sure everybody feels like a giant. That's a big thing, actually. And thinking like a giant, feeling like a giant and being a giant is really important. You're so on brand, James. I love it. Absolutely love it. I'm even wearing green. (laughs) Yes, you are. For the listeners, green is their brand colour, but you would know that if you're going onto their website and taking a look. Recommend going onto their website, by the way. It's designed beautifully, as it it should and would be. (laughs) But but I think that's a great point, Stella, is that actually so many agencies, they don't actually think about their brand enough and um, they don't invest in their brand in the way that they tell their clients to invest in their brand and actually your brand is your most valuable asset is what the way I look at it mm. and that everything you invest in it you'll get back so the more you invest in it the more you'll get back if I'm honest. Mm. it feels like where we're at right now and how people are going back into different ways of working it might be a good time to shake up everything Guys, thank you so much. We have come to the end of our interview that went really quickly, but I can't wait to carry on seeing your successes. And I'd love to see one of these crime investigation mirror boards at some point as well. (laughs) It's fascinating me. I keep wondering what else would be there in your investigation into audiences. (laughs) If you ever fancy sharing some of your insights. Come and join us one day in our our weekly sessions. Come and have lunch with us. Thank you so much for your time. That was the PR Resolution podcast. If you want to learn more about emerging areas of PR, join the PR Resolution and head to blog.coveragebook.com. Stay in touch by following me on Twitter at Stella Bales and make sure you subscribe to the series to get the next episode.